Two years ago this week, a Christian couple in St. Charles headed home from their various workplaces to meet for lunch at their home. And when they arrived just moments apart from each other, they found their home engulfed in flames. They lost everything the week before Christmas. Their three children were in school, so then they had to wait for their three kids' buses to show up that afternoon, meet them at the bus stop so they could be the ones to break the news to them. Weeks and months of being displaced and having to go through the memories of the precious keepsakes you had, the simple belongings that you took for granted, all being gone, uh, surely overwhelmed them. Last October, a young couple with three children went on an anniversary trip, and while they were away, the husband got terribly sick, so they drove to the ER in the city near where they were staying, and uh, immediately the uh, hospital team admitted the, this man uh, into the ICU. He was diagnosed with leukemia, and he died two days later. He had been totally healthy, visibly, before that trip. Those stories touch us in various ways, but I think, if we're honest, they expose some of our deepest fears as well. Having someone you love suddenly disappear. Having war tear through your homeland, or having a loved one fly off to war, or finding out your job is being eliminated, or coming home and finding your house on fire. What are your greatest fears? What causes you the most anxiety? A study put out by a small university in California described the 10 greatest fears in America. They've studied this over the course of years, so they're kind of tracking this. And uh, the greatest fear of Americans, uh, the, the number one fear of Americans, is corrupt government officials. It's one of the reasons I just prayed about that. Second is economic collapse, and several in the top ten include fears of nuclear war, the possibility of another world war, or various forms of terrorism. Are your fears included in that list, or what would would you add to that list? What what would make your personal top ten? And then you have the question of what you do with your fears. When you realize that you actually need help, that you aren't self-sufficient. You actually can't solve your own problems. You might be able to identify the problems, those top ten problems, and maybe a hundred others. But you have no answers for those problems, no solutions for them. You have lots of options of where you can go with your fears, but our passage today tells us that the best place to go with your fears and with the concerns of life is to the Lord himself. Our passage is Psalm 121. If you're using one of the Bibles under the seats near you, that would be on page 484. Psalm 121 on page 484. This psalm is the second of the Psalms of Ascent, as we started talking about last week. Uh, These were likely sung by God's people who were traveling to Jerusalem for events such as Passover or other feasts that God's people were instructed to go to Jerusalem for. And so these are pilgrims marching up to Jerusalem singing songs along the way, rehearsing God's goodness and God's faithfulness, preaching the truth to themselves as they go. And uh, essentially we could say that this, that this song, uh, well, for, for one, we sang this psalm a few weeks ago. We'll sing it again a few weeks from now. We just sang a few minutes ago a song that essentially reflects the teaching of this passage, He Will Hold Me Fast. And so... While we don't know the circumstances under which this psalm was written, or even who wrote it, as with other passages, many other passages in the Bible, we can say the Lord 
didn't give us those details, and maybe it was on purpose, so that when you read a psalm like this yourself, you would say, well, this obviously matches the circumstances in my life, right? Like, I don't have to be going through the exact circumstances that the author did in order for for this psalm to seem like it speaks to the needs of my life, the needs of my heart. You don't have to be traveling down a dusty road in the Middle East 2,000, 4,000 years ago in order to see that this section ministers to our fears, speaks to our anxieties, and lights our paths. Perhaps, as I meditated on this passage this week, perhaps Jesus himself had this psalm on his mind as he ascended up to Jerusalem, bearing his own cross. Of course, we don't know that, but consider how Jesus would have sung these songs, this song as he ministered or went on his way to Jerusalem to lay down his life, to substitute for our sins. In just a moment, I'm going to read this psalm aloud, again on page 484, if you're just finding it. The message of this psalm is that you can trust that along life's way, the Lord will keep you. Please follow along. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Trust and know that along life's way, The Lord will keep you. I hope it's obvious to you as we read through that that this is the message of this passage because it mentions the Lord five times. So there we have the idea that the Lord will keep you. And you have the idea of the Lord keeping you, being the keeper who keeps, six times. So you put those two things together and you should say, I think this psalm is about the Lord keeping his people. But even if that's the theme, it's still appropriate to ask, why should I trust the Lord in the circumstances in my life, in the hard things that come my way? How can I know that the Lord will keep me? How can I give to him, or why should I give to him, my fears? The specific circumstances that I struggle with. And this psalm gives us four reasons we can trust him. The first is in verses 1 and 2, where we see, you can trust the Lord because he is fully capable. He's fully capable. But even from the very outset, you notice that there's a need for a capable helper. Where do you notice that? It's in this first, uh, first verse, this first set of lines here. Where does my help come from? Again, you ask that question. You know that you need help. Like Bilbo Baggins, you could say, it's dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. Maybe you have that same sense. Are these hills that he describes in verse 1, that the psalmist describes in verse 1, are these hills majestic and reminders of the Lord's creation? Maybe. Are they imposing, threatening, dark, foreboding? We don't really know, but I I lean toward that second option that as you're traveling up these hills, you know I could trip at any point. There's steep parts to the side where I could slide off. There's wolves or other ravenous beasts and birds up here. There could be robbers and marauders along the way. There are lots of dangers. 
for God's people as they marched up to Jerusalem for these various feasts or as they returned out of exile, perhaps. The dangers of life provide us with plenty of need for help. John Newton famously wrote that the Lord has brought us through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have threats all around us, terrors and terrorists, temptations, sickness, disease, and injury. So again, I would simply ask you, where do you turn for help? Some people turn to drugs and alcohol, self-harm, just going to bed and maybe taking some pretty strong sleep medication to help with that, getting obsessed with your work, spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars on sports betting, watching TV for hours on, hour, uh, hours on end, pornography, scrolling social media, doom-scrolling social media, playing games, binging Netflix, obsessing over sports. Maybe you clean and clean and clean and you're obsessed with having your house as perfectly clean as you possibly can so there's a part of your life that you feel you are in control of. I'll make everything slightly cleaner or I'll get slightly thinner or I'll save slightly more per month. And these practices make us feel better for a little amount of time, but the need for help keeps resurfacing and they keep strangling us. Perhaps you think, yeah, well, help is for weak people. I can take care of myself. Surely you've heard people say that. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need church. I don't need whatever because that's for weak people. That's just a crutch for weak people who can't get it together themselves. Or maybe you assume, well, God helps those who help themselves. So I'm just going to take care of this myself. But your greatest need is for something that you actually can't help yourself with. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And you might look at this and be like, how's this whole thing with hills and help tie us back to the need to be forgiven? And I would simply say, the fact that you need help simply reveals the reality that your biggest problem is that you are a sinner. You're made in the image of God, so you have great dignity and great value and great beauty before God and before fellow creatures. But you are a great sinner. And your greatest need is to be forgiven, and you can't make God forgive you by somehow balancing out the good and the bad. Like if I have 51% good, now God is obligated to forgive me. It is simply not that way. Even if there were some way, you, by your perfectionism perhaps, could manage to get like even 80% good to only 20% bad, there's still that 20% bad, and that still has to be paid for. So Jesus lovingly paid for 100% of your sins. If you put your hope in him, your sins will be forgiven. If you realize, I can't save myself, Your sins will be forgiven. Your record will be washed clean. Your conscience will be clear. And you can go through life with joyful freedom, knowing that your sins are gone and that you already have new life at work inside of you and you will enjoy that new life throughout eternity. So if you have questions about that, if you've never put your hope in Christ, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. We hope you'll come back again next week. We hope you'll come back over and over again and stick around and ask us questions. There's nothing you can't ask us. We want to help you know that the Lord is the one who helps you. There are other ways that we need the Lord's help besides the gift of salvation and physical protection. You need help when you are ensnared in sin. 
Have you ever felt like you can't say no? Like the temptation is just too strong? Then you know, you can know that the Lord is your helper as well. But what I said was that the Lord is trustworthy. We can trust him to help us because he's fully capable. In what way do we see the Lord's full capability to deal with our our problems, our needs, our weaknesses? I think that particularly comes from verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. And this is the one past verb, basically. The, The only way it describes something the Lord did in the past. Everything else it describes what the Lord does now and what he will do in the future. So what can we bank on about God? Well, it's the fact that God made everything. Okay, I guess that means I should probably trust him. Like, again, this is kind of the lesser, or the greater to the lesser uh, argument that the psalmist is using here. Again, if a, if a guy, I think I've told you about this before, if a guy can have a refrigerator strapped to his back and carry it by himself, he can carry your box of books. Like, that's not a problem. So you can trust the Lord. If he can make all things, okay, I think I can trust him to deal with my minor problems as well. So there's nothing too hard for God, but there is another implication of the fact that he's the God who made heaven and earth, and that's the fact that we're accountable to him. We just talked about that a little bit. You're accountable to him because you breathe the air he created and you walk on the ground he created. You, you know, take care of the body he created. <clears throat> But you are accountable to him because he is sovereign, because he is the king, because he made all things. Excuse me. And again, if he is the maker of everything, that means he's fully capable of addressing your needs. He has literally everything at his disposal. If there's a problem, he has a solution. So let me tell you some of the ways God has creatively and imaginatively solved problems just in the Bible. As one theologian, Jim Hamilton, put it, God can help in any way he chooses, and he has no shortage of imaginative solutions to the problems of his people. He can help them with water from rocks, sticks that sweeten bitter waters, jars of oil, enemies, enemy armies turning their swords on themselves, even the birth of babies, one baby in particular. These are just some of the ways God imaginatively addresses our needs And he is fully capable to do this. So you can trust him because he's fully capable. Second, in verses 3 and 4, this next section of this psalm, you can trust the Lord because he is constantly alert. He will not let your foot be moved. That's the idea of you walking on a steep, slippery slope. And if you slip off, you're gone. And the Lord is the one who will hold your hand, who will walk with you along the way. He will not let your foot be moved. And here's how you can know that he's not going to let you be destroyed, let you be moved, because he will not slumber. He who, who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There are a couple aspects of this we can notice. One is, let me just tell you this. Um, six years ago, our youngest son, Andrew, was in the hospital in, in Birmingham, Alabama. He got very, very sick a few weeks after he was born. And there were some dark, dire times there where the nurses and doctors are rushing into the room in the middle of the night, rushing him out of the room to take him to a, you know, more of an emergency level room. It was, those were pretty scary times. And I remember sitting there watching over his hospital bed with all this stuff strapped up to him and thinking, I can do nothing to keep him alive. Like, the best I can do is run down the hallway yelling for the doctors to come. That's all I've got. But even... 
they, you need their, their help. They can't create miracles out of everything either. But notice another aspect here. In the first couple of verses, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. What's he do here in verse 3? He will not let your foot be moved. It's still singular. He's still only addressing one person. But he's actually preaching to himself here. I think that's what verses 3 and 4, there's a, a turn here where the psalmist is spending less time focusing on the problem and more time on the Lord. And a, a pastor and theologian in England of the previous century named David Martin Lloyd-Jones has a famous line where he said, we as Christians spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. When was the last time you talked to yourself? But in a, in a normal way. Okay, let's clarify that. Let's not answer the other part of it. When was the last time you, you talked to yourself in a normal way? One of the ways you can do that is by singing songs that preach the truth to you. One of the ways is by memorizing a psalm like Psalm 121. This one is actually relatively easy to memorize. I would encourage you to, because there's some repetition to it, encourage you to memorize a passage of Scripture that you can turn to to help you preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. So instead of looking at all the evil around him, the psalmist is now looking at the Lord. He will not let me be moved because he never falls asleep. I felt like I couldn't fall asleep in that hospital. Clarissa especially, even when she had melatonin, like going down hard on melatonin, she still couldn't fall asleep because what if my baby doesn't make it through this night? And you just have this fear that penetrates every ounce of your body. and There's nothing you can do. What's the Lord going to do? He's not going to sleep. He's not going to slumber. You can go to bed. I actually encourage you to do that. Go take a nap and just say, Lord, I can't solve my problems, but you can help me here, and I need your help. So instead of focusing on the problem, he's focused on the one who actually can deal with the problem, who never slumbers nor sleeps. You can trust the Lord because he's constantly alert. Third, you can trust the Lord because he is near you. Verses 5 and 6. Because he is near you. Verse 5 says the Lord is your keeper. He is your sustainer. He's the one who keeps on providing. He will sustain you. We sang that again, like I said, a couple weeks ago. Beautifully written, beautifully sung by you all that day. Like I said, we'll sing it again in a few weeks because we need these reminders. He will keep you from all evil before you and behind. We see here that the Lord is near you. That's why he can keep you in the shade. It's like in Psalm 91, you're kind of climbing under the wings of the Lord and he's going to protect you from the elements. And here he describes both the sun and the moon as being a source of fear or a source of danger. How does the sun provide Danger of some kind. Well, if you're walking up a barren hill on the way to Jerusalem for a pilgrimage, you'd be baking in the sun during the day. And some of you work jobs where you bake in the sun during the day. It's not pleasant. But then other times, you're sleeping out under the moon, and who knows what's going to come around the corner while you're sleeping out at night. I'm sure some of you have stories about that. So the moon, for the moon to strike you, this would probably be the idea that there are things that come out at night 
that are fearful. And maybe you just wrestle with these things even on your beds in your relatively safe homes. But we saw this passage actually essentially alluded to slash quoted by John in the book of Revelation chapter 7. He said there a few months ago when we preached that passage, no scorching heat will, be in the, will, will strike God's people in new heavens and new earth. It said specifically, the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Isn't that amazing that there is a shepherd who is a lamb? Like that metaphor, that imagery is strikingly beautiful. But what is it about the Lord there that keeps you safe? How will he shepherd you in your darkness? He's going to not let the sun scorch you. He's not going to let the moon strike you. The Lord will protect you because he is near to you. Because he is your shade. You can trust the Lord because he's fully capable. Because he is constantly alert. And because he is near you. And then here, number four, the fourth reason you can trust the Lord is because he is with you forever. Verse seven says, he will keep you from all evil. That includes the evil one. And you know, I realize it's kind of weird to think about the fact that there is an invisible realm of evil in the world. But we as Christians need to be aware that the evil one hates you. And that's one of the themes that we came away from the book of Revelation seeing again and again. Just how much Satan wants to destroy you by taking your eyes off the Lord. By making you focus on the evil circumstances around you. He has lots of ways to shoot a flaming arrow at your heart. And he knows how to make it stick. And maybe some of those arrows are going to fly this week more than other weeks because you're going to spend time with people you don't normally get to spend time with. Be aware that the evil one hates you, but the Lord will protect you. He will keep you. And this is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, that you would preserve us from evil and from the evil one. The Lord will not just keep part of you safe. He will keep your life. This is the, the, the Hebrew word that essentially describes your whole being. Your whole life is safe in God's hands. And he is, the, he is with you. He will keep your life forever from your From this time forth, that just simply means now. You can just change that through the word now. Now and forever, the Lord will keep you. What you have to notice, and and by the way, this phrase going out and coming in just simply means as you go through every day, but I think it's also a beautiful metaphor for our entire lives. Like from the beginning of your life, from the moment you're born till the moment you die, the Lord is with you and you're going out and in you're coming in. But you have to notice the Lord actually does not keep you from danger. He will keep you while you are in danger. He is our refuge. He is our ever-present help in time of need. But we have to remember, people still die. People still get in car accidents. People still lose their fortune through their own mismanagement or the mismanagement of you know, a trust fund manager. Bad things still happen to God's people. So as, as I said a few weeks ago in a different context, don't let the lies of the prosperity gospel teach you that the Lord's going to keep you. And that means you're going to have a long, happy, healthy, wealthy life. You're guaranteed none of that. You're guaranteed nothing past this moment. 
But we will sing in a few minutes that there is no power of hell and no scheme of man that can pluck you out of the Lord's hand. In other words, what this psalm is doing, this psalm is the Old Testament version of a doctrine that becomes way clearer and more persistent, I guess we could say, in the New Testament. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or the fact that those that God saves by their faith, the repentant faith in the shed blood of Jesus, will surely make it to the end. You don't have to fear, I'm going to lose my grip on Christ because he has his grip on you. So when we sing that in a few minutes, or when we sing a song like we did a few minutes ago, if he will hold me fast, you can know the Lord will preserve you. But it doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. It doesn't mean you're going to have a healthy life or a wealthy life. But the Lord will keep you. In 2011, an American aid worker serving in Somalia named Jessica Buchanan was kidnapped and held for 93 days in extremely harsh conditions. One night in January 2012, she was convinced she was about to die. Instead, what happened was Navy SEALs rescued her. They rushed her to a nearby landing zone and waited for a helicopter. As they waited, the Navy SEALs heard uh, some sounds rustling in the, in the grass, so they threw themselves on top of her. They were going to take a bullet for her in order to preserve her life. Eventually, the helicopter landed. She sprinted without their help. She knew exactly what had to happen. She got on that helicopter as fast as she possibly could. Once the helicopter finally took off, she was able to breathe and realize, I'm safe. Like I'm going home. I, I don't know what just happened, but I am going home. Jessica Buchanan was safe not because of resources inside herself, but because of who was with her. The best guys in the world to rescue someone were there to rescue her. And those people were absolutely committed to getting her home safely. This is what the Lord does for us. Again, John Newton's words. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Trust and know that the Lord himself will keep you all along life's way. Let's close in prayer. Lord, would you lift our burdens today? Would you make our hearts glad with these truths? Would you give us grace to cast our burdens on you, knowing that you care for us and know that you will sustain us. In Christ's name, amen.